Alrighty. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Millennial Teacher Podcast. My name is Shakira Langley. And again, we are talking all things education. And today I have Dr. Jasmine James. And I found her through her wonderful platform via social media. And you are celebrating one mental health, two, two school psychology, and all things in that realm. So welcome. And tell us how you got started. Yes, so I um went to a PWI in Ohio, um, and straight out of undergrad, I did a teacher residency program here in Chicago. So the way a teacher residency program pretty much works is like we train while at the same time getting our master's degree. And so I trained in a fourth grade classroom on the west side of Chicago. Loved it, 10 out of 10. Like the kids had great personalities. And then at the end of our residency year, we go to like a hiring day where all of the schools in our network are there and we have to interview. So they kind of are able to see our resume, no face. And then they're able to select they're like top people that they want to work there. And then we, on the other side, are shopping around and like seeing the schools, getting to know the neighborhoods. We select our top three. And then the three that we align with were the interviews we did that day. So I got placed um, at a school on the southeast side of Chicago, right in the neighborhood I grew up in. I was there wow. for six years, um, left there, went to a high school on the west side, loved it there, and then finished out my teaching career last year on the west side as a sixth grade science teacher. Yes. Wow. So you've been loving education from day one. That was not my day story. One. Girl, when you said residency program, I just knew you were going to say, oh, I hated it because my residency year was not like that. So I am just amazed to hear. So it sounds like they did right by you or you just yes. natural, natural, true love for education. But you are a school psychologist, correct? So I'm a community psychologist, which is kind of a mix of clinical and kind of community organizing. Mm -hmm. So the way our program works is we kind of learn like all of the clinical brain stuff, but we learn how to do it in a community kind of canon. So a lot of the work that I did was learning about a neighborhood in Chicago. I live in Chicago's 20th Ward, which is Washington Park, Inglewood, and Woodlawn. We call it the big triangle. And so I spent a lot of work just like getting to know the history of of the community that I'm in and figuring out kind of the history of what are their psychological needs and kind of meshing the both. Ooh, that's a lot. So first you had to like get to know the community, which is, I feel like a lot of times that we mess up, like we just go into a community, like I'm from South Carolina and I went to DC and I knew nothing. And so I had to backtrack. So you, you guys went to the community first and then like figured out the needs. What were the most common needs that you found? Well, here in the 20th Ward, some of the major needs are um, like healthcare facilities. We have a big hospital here that's kind of like more privatized, if that makes sense. And so a lot of people just don't find like they don't find like comfort there. They feel like staff is rude to them being people of color. You know, a lot of times being low income people of color. Right. Another one was just like adequate education spaces. So. There aren't a lot of schools. The 20th War is pretty big. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, and the 20th War is like a historically Black ward. But when the mayor a few years ago cut the budget and closed a lot of those schools, a lot of those schools were in the 20th War. So mm -hmm. what happened is kids are either overpopulated in school buildings or they've now had to go to schools outside of their neighborhood, which is a whole like different conversation for a different day. 
Um, and then just like family services, like a lot of folks wanted parenting classes or like mom support groups, things that I feel like policy doesn't really see black and brown people wanting. But right. on the ground, people are like, I really want to learn how to be a great mom. I really want to learn how to like make healthy food for my kids. And I don't really feel like there's a market for that. So the assumption is that people just don't want it. Right. Wow. Yeah. And I feel like that assumption stems back to like, you know, past generations, like thinking like, oh, black people don't need therapy. Um, black people, we know how to parent. We all we need is, you know, hard discipline, this, that, and the third. And so naturally it's like brushing the rug, like they didn't do it before. So why do they need it now? So how are y'all turning the, like changing the narrative and getting people to be more open about it? Or are they just coming to you guys first? So a lot of the work I do here, I run an organization here in the 20th War. It's called the Trauma Zone. Um, in 2021, I know this is going to be a shocker. This shocks everybody every time I say it. In 2021, I was a survivor of gun violence. So I actually was driving home with my one-year-old in the car in a neighborhood that's a little more south from our war, and I was shot. It was just like a random occurrence. I was just in kind of like the wrong place at the wrong time. But when I tell you they shot my car up, like I was a big meech. Like literally, you would have thought that I was like a gang lord. My baby was in the car. It was just a crazy experience. But the like I say, I always try to kind of like look for the rainbow in the situation. I was a teacher at the time. I had great health insurance. I was able to get like top of the line physical therapy, top of the line, like mental health therapy. And that was kind of during the pandemic. And so many of my friends were moms, new moms. They're like, girl, I'm in the house losing my mind. I don't, yeah. I don't have the financial ability to like have therapy. I don't have anybody to talk to. And it just sparked the idea in my mind. Like what if there was just like a therapy organization in the hood that like was very culturally responsive with therapists that look like the people there and I shopped around to try to like send those resources to my friends and they just didn't exist. So I just made one. Wow. We I found like a whole bunch of my friends who had already been certified in like therapy and LCSW, LCPC, like all of the, the, the letters that we love to hear, right? And I put them on staff. We opened up a Google form for folks in our ward. They were able to sign up and through some money that we like fundraised, I was able to pay all of the therapists I knew. And people were just able to get therapy for months and months and months. And because it was COVID, they just had to log on Zoom and that was it. That is crazy. Yes. <laughs> you went from being at the wrong place at the wrong time to starting your own therapy network. Yes. Oh <laughs> my gosh. But to rewind a little bit, how did you, were you, like, I knew you were probably traumatized, but how long did it take you to snap your fingers and say, look, instead of getting out this rut, let me go be a resources and, and an advocate for everyone else. Like what I is think it's like, like being a mom, it was so crazy because my son literally learned how to walk like a week after I got shot. So he was like, he like, he was like, both of us can't not walk. You know, like yeah. one of us has to <laughs> get it together. And I just, even though I was like physically kind of down and out, I feel like seeing my son just like grow and develop and be alive. Like, I feel like that's not necessarily the narrative here in Chicago. And I'm always very kind of wary of sharing my own experience because I don't want to like glorify gun violence. Mm -hmm. There are so many folks who have like had experiences with gun violence or their family have experienced gun violence and those people aren't here anymore right yeah. so it, i kind of in my mind was like okay i'm either going to sit here and like 
take the life that I've been given and like the grace of God that has been like placed upon my life and the second chance at life and be so down and out that I'm just complaining all day. Oh, I'm on crutches. Oh, this, oh, that. Or I can like realize that this is like a second chance for me to do some great things. And that's just always kind of been my mentality as a person, even like as a kid, just wanting to like give back. Oh, mom, I need a dollar to give to this person that's on the street. Yeah. That's just kind of always been my MO. But I think like being a mom, I'm like, okay, my child is either going to see me sink or swim, right? He's either going to like see me on these crutches and just like not doing anything with it, or he's going to be able to look back and say like, my mom took a traumatic situation and turned it into an amazing journey. And I just wanted to be that for him. And so now he's always at events, running around, hugging folks. Like, I feel like he's such a compassionate toddler, and a lot of that had to do with me just saying, like, I'm just going to try to make the best out of this situation. Wow. That is remarkable, to say the least. And you, like, said you're a little hesitant because, you know, you don't want to promote gun violence, but you're telling your story. So when, like, just to flip the script, I know that a lot of headlines will say that, you know, Chicago is known for, like, being a very dangerous city. Um, I've been there before. I love it. Had a great time. Great people. <laughs> but, you know, headlines won't always glorify that. So what do you have to say to, like, educators who, like, they read the stories and they hear the news about, like, you know, the violence, the killing, the shooting, but they're not necessarily hearing, like, your stories. And some of our students do fall victim to that pipeline where, like, this is all this is all this Chicago may have for me. Like, what, how do you combat that? And what do you say to teachers? Because I know that they are leaving the classroom as well because of yes. those yeah, so I left the classroom at the end of this school year. I actually lost one of my very first students um, at the beginning of 2023. And when I think about his life, I, so I met him when he was an eight-year-old. And you know, you if you've ever been in a school, you know those kids that are like, before they even are in your classroom, everybody's like, oh, he's coming to your classroom. Yes. He's going to be in your class this year. And I always try not to listen to those narratives. So when I met him, I'm like, okay, so who are you? Like, I've heard the whole big bash feel about Marcel. Like, everybody is saying this, everybody's saying that, but who are you? And I feel like giving him that opportunity to kind of create his own story is why we were just like locked in for life. And stayed with him all the way till he was 17 when he lost his life. But I think like 17. being a teacher, yes, yeah, 17, a baby. 17, like. A young one. And it's so crazy because I used to always say, like, we set a goal, me and him together, to get him to eighth grade graduation. Because he's just like, high school's going to be tough. Like, you're not you're not going to be there. You know, it's just, I don't know. He's like, but I can definitely give you eighth grade graduation. And he gave me eighth grade graduation. He put his all into it. I got to see him graduate, hug his grandma, hug his mama, his sisters, like yeah. everybody. And I think, like, what I've learned as a teacher is that like our job in the classrooms are so impactful, right? And like you said, we read the headlines and kids doing this and they punching their teacher because of their cell phone. Mm -hmm. And like those things happen. Like we know that those things are happening. We see those things all the time. But I don't think unless you've been in the classroom, you don't understand like the joy of seeing kids evolve mm -hmm. in ways that make sense for them. Like Eighth grade graduation to somebody is going to be like, oh, eighth grade, like, why not shoot for college? Why not? And it's like, Mom. these kids know their lives, right? Yeah. Eighth grade graduation might be where our kids stop 
it may be where life kind of like stops what we don't know but imagine like having champions taking you all the way there and making it a big situation right and I think what I've learned as an educator is like if a kid says I just don't want to be angry today that's my goal like that's good enough for me because I don't know what you're coming with and I'm not always going to have the experience that I have with Marcel where he's literally in my room every day telling me his whole life right yeah. sometimes I may just have that one class period and so I think as educators we have to see our kids as humans with their own thoughts and feelings with their own kind of like problems that they're carrying and I've always taught older kids so a lot of them are the older siblings of their families they're the person that's walking everybody to school they're the person that's making sure that their brothers and sisters eat after school and like for me to give them the opportunity in my space to be a kid and like express we play so many games in my class and like yes i'm bringing snacks we doing a halloween party y'all 16 but we getting a halloween party like yeah. wear your costumes do your thing like we doing a homecoming dance i'm coming i'm dancing with y'all we have to give kids especially black kids the opportunity to be kids and I think we don't do that in education spaces. It's like you're a student. Like read, write, arithmetic, science, That's social standard. studies. Mm -hmm. But what about just like them growing as people, them coming in? If you crying, that's okay. Like I cry as an adult and I, why are we not creating spaces for kids to do that? It's just a very, Ooh. education is kind of strange sometimes. It's yeah. like, dude. it's not a community. Like yeah. what you're doing now, like you're literally leveraging medical and then school. And that is so mind blowing to me because in a sense, we, you would think that the school is the community center for med medical reasons, therapy, and then education and like creating that home and that community. So I'm just like listening to you. And I'm just like, this is what education should be like bridging the gap. So I love how you are fostering that. So do you have any moments where do you feel like, um, it sounds like everybody who comes to you, they're willing and learning and able to like, you know, work on themselves. But do you ever reach out to people and it's been difficult? Have you ever had like somebody bite back? Yeah. So I think like before I got into kind of like the psychology space, I was just the teacher who was like, I got to meet these parents where they are. Right. And I think the hardest part, but the most rewarding part of education is if you can get the parents. If you can get parents and grandparents involved, you've like found the mix. <laughs> But all parents are not, I don't want to say not willing because I think that there's this perception that Black parents don't care about their kids. And I don't know where that came from because Black parents are overcritical of their kids. Oh, They're yeah. like, you got to, I'm sending you to school. Your hair got to be slick. Your, your <laughs> uniform is pressed. New shoes every day. Like they care about their kids. It just looks a little bit different. And so I just remember having so many conversations kind of like my first few years of teaching and I'm like, I need you to come get your baby's report card. Mm -hmm. Like we on quarter three, you have not come to get your child's report card. They getting an out of uniform day. Like, girl, I need you to work with me. And once I got the parents in, I was able to hear their perceptions of school. Like a lot of the parents went to the school that they sent their kids to. And they remember that one teacher that purposely gave them F. So they remember like every time they came into the building, they were in trouble. So I started to realize that the reason that parents weren't invested in schools is because the schools were traumatic for the parents, right? Imagine you come into the building and they like, oh, you ain't got your child report card in two years, not knowing that you work in a double shift. You're exhausted. Uh -huh. Report card pickup being done at six doesn't make sense to you because you work to eight. Like, and no teacher is reaching out and saying, come up another day and get it. 
It's just like, oh, this parent don't care about their kids. Let's put their report card in a file folder, right? I just don't even think like in relationship to our parents, we had empathy. And so I found myself in a lot of frustration of like, oh, this parent, girl, I done taught your kid for two years. You never came and got a report card. And the mom is like, girl, I'm doing my best. I'm the only yeah. parent. I got to work three jobs. And it, it got to the point where it's like, oh, girl, I could just put that report card in that book bag. Like, you, it's really not that serious. Yeah. Sign it. If you have any questions about the grades, call me. Like, we can walk through it. You may not be able to physically come up here. And I feel like that was a lot of the, like, combativeness that I was getting because... I wasn't even looking at the parents as humans, right? I'm looking at you as like, this is what a parent should be and this is what you're supposed to do. And now as a mom, I'm like, baby, it's days where I'm beat to the floor. I can, I may not be able to come get a report card, right? And I'm this like educated woman who was supposed to know, but it's going to be some days where I can't get that report card. I could have gotten a car accident. I could have a flat tire on the side of the road. Something yeah. could have happened in my family and I make, I'm doing my best to get there, but I may not make it there. And imagine my child's teacher being like oh well your mother doesn't care because she didn't get your report card that would hurt my feelings right and that would make me feel a type of way about the school that my child is going into so I had to learn how to let a lot of those preconceived notions go and ask parents like what can you do yeah can you send some candy bags for the Halloween party you may not be able to come to the dance but you can send some candy and parents would send 6,000 candy bags yeah. like this was like their time to shine, but it was based on what they could do versus what I was expecting them to do. Yeah. And that's yeah. because I just think about like how um, my parents perceived teachers growing up. So like my dad was the one going to the conferences. He was like, teachers words are bond. Like, oh, you bored? You standing up? You acting crazy? And my mom, on the other hand, she was like, you know, like a little softer to it. Um, she's Caribbean. So, you know, they have like, a, a, we have a different yeah. approach of things. And so she was like, well, you know, your child, you know, he's a goof. Like, yeah, he might be bored, but he can't, you know, show his behind. And then my dad is like, you know, like education, he's like very like, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. And we went to predominantly white school. So, you know, initially, um, in the South, you know, like it goes to show like, you know, you might be better. You might come out better academically if you're performing there well, for whatever reason. And so like they would like butt heads a lot because mom was like, like, you got to meet he she got to meet him and then we got to meet her. And so it's just like goes to show like how many perceptions go on and to like. I, as a teacher, I can feel sometimes like the parents are nervous, like on report cards, like they are just so nervous. And part of that being we spend more time with them than they do. And some of them look up to us like we are kings and queens, like we are offering them reading and writing and so many skills like they might not be able to have. So it's kind of like, you know, just setting the bar to where both people can like play on the same level. And so I love that you said that it really does go back to perception. And so I just think about like when I was in school, what my dad, how my dad would go and how my mom, they would just butt heads and, and then we all just sat at the table, just like, we got to figure this out. And so I think a lot of educators need to be aware that some people literally are depending on us to get their children where they are. So Yes, that you said that. Do you have like any tips for people who are wanting to reach out therapy and may just have their reservations? Because there's not a lot of people who 
like in inner city communities that I know of that are like has a program that you are doing. So do you have like any tips like from starting to like how you present yourself? Because therapy for some can be like a really hard to handle word. So I think that like the first thing I would say is therapy is like a grocery store to me. Um, You have to shop around like find somebody that works for you and don't feel like because you had an initial meeting with somebody and you've told them a little bit about yourself that you're like locked into that therapist because there are there are therapists that just are not going to work for you like you can see yourself you're not getting the vibes they're not like responding to questions in your initial therapy session you don't just have to sit and like tell that therapist your life you can ask them questions okay so boom do you have you know like you can ask them questions and they have a willingness to respond and be open with you and depending on how they respond or if they don't respond that'll tell you okay this is somebody who I can vibe with this is somebody who will work for me or not um I think like I am a strong proponent of looking up like therapists on therapy for black girls or the website therapy for black men you can determine what insurances they take how close they are to your home what are their specialties and then i think the other thing is like traditional therapy doesn't work for everybody like everybody does not want to sit in front of a therapist and i feel like in communities of color especially it's like that's for white folks right i'm not gonna sit on this couch and lay down and tell somebody my problems but i think like there are other forms of therapeutic things that you can do to deal with your mental health. I think a big thing as Black people, we have to get out in the sun. Like, we cannot sit in the house and do everything. So many of us have, like, vitamin D deficiencies, and vitamin D affects your mood. And when you sitting in the house and you're not getting sun, you're not getting fresh oxygen in your body and your mind. Like you feel crazy. You feel in a crab barrel. That's why COVID was so hard for a lot of us. Cause it's like, I have to wake up in the same four walls and walk to the same kitchen over and over and over. So like finding ways to get outside, whether that's taking a walk around the block, whether that's going to the grocery store, like getting yourself out there and then trying to find community. I feel like the good thing about COVID is that it created all of these like digital groups girls who travel guys who play basketball women who knit moms of north carolina like all of these different like different ways to communicate with people and sometimes that's therapeutic just being able to like talk to other people who are kind of interested in the same things you're interested in if you're not at a place where you're like let me go to therapy therapy you can do that. A lot of the stuff my organization does is we just give people their needs, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If I'm starving, my kids don't have food in the house. Don't come giving me a pamphlet about therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Therapy to us may be showing up at this lady's door with a bag of groceries. And in that gesture, providing her with her basic level of needs, we can start having a conversation of like, hey, how are you and the kids doing? What's going on? What do you need? Like, Oh, you just had a new baby. Have you have you talked to anybody about postpartum depression, right? But we're not coming in like, boom, we're a therapy program. We're like, we're a community organization. We give you your needs, right? We're getting ready to do like a diaper drive in December. We know that December is hard for moms, especially single moms. They have to determine, do I purchase baby needs or do I get my kids Christmas presents and a Christmas tree, right? We are going to have so many conversations about just giving somebody a box of diapers. Oh, and by the way, we do therapy. We do parent. We do family yoga classes. We do all of this stuff. If the, if you're interested in it, cool. If not, 
here's your diapers. They're going to remember like, okay, this person didn't force me to sign up for therapy. And I feel like that's what's the issue with a lot of these spaces. You go, you meet these therapists and they're like, your life is in shambles. Mm -hmm. You mentally unwell. Uh -huh. like, they just go down the list. It was your mother, it's your father, uh -huh. your grandparents and your great grandparents were slaves. And it's like, wait a minute, like, hold on. Yeah, I understand. Like I have a self awareness that my life is in shambles. I know that. Yeah, I don't need you to be like listing out my shambles. Yeah. Like, yeah, open to the public. Bertha saying like, "Hey, girl, cute outfit. Where'd you get it from? Oh, how's life going? What's going on? Oh, you just started school. Okay, how's that going? It's stressful. Cool. We got a support group for girls who just started day masters program. We just, you know, like." It's about the the delivery, and I think our delivery, especially because I think we're in a generation where, like, mental health now is a thing. Yes. Everybody is like, you need to go to therapy. You need yeah. to go to therapy. That is hard for a lot of people to sit down and say, okay, let me go back to when I was five, when my parents got divorced, and yeah. I'm 35. Like, that is a lot for people. Yeah. Right. And just assuming that everybody is just going to be able to jump on a bandwagon is crazy. So you have to find things that are therapeutic for you. Even if it starts in the home, like maybe you are identifying your stress this day all the time. Every Thursday, you like, I got this staff meeting. I came up off this meeting. These people that made me mad. I'm stressed. Maybe it just starts with like, okay, I'm going to take a bath tonight. Yeah. And then the next week it's like, okay, I'm going to now, instead of taking a bath, I'm going to take a walk. And then eventually when you get to that point where you like, okay, all of these like coping strategies are great, but I think I need to do a little bit more. Let me now reach out to the therapist. Like you have to kind of know your own pace. And I think people are very wary because they're like, people just want me to go to therapy day one and just like air my whole life out. And I can't do that. Yeah. Maybe it's just drinking some water, <laughs> like yeah. eating some fruits. Mm -hmm. And then as I build up, then maybe in a year I give therapy a try. Oh my God. Yeah. You said a mouthful, especially about the walking outside. Cause let me tell you something. <laughs> One thing about me, if you know me, I am not an outdoor girly, but the other day I literally was on the phone with my friend and I was like, girl, I took the longest walk and I feel better. Like I'm walking around my apartment mad for no reason, literally just mad. And I'm just like, am I having a bad day? So I go take a walk and it, I had the best time and it just, it just does something to you. So I really think it's about like learning yourself and then trying different outlets. And number one, most importantly, what you said that I will take back to the classroom, I'm pretty sure other teachers as well, approach 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 like even down to like teachers talking to parents parents talking to students or you know all parties involved education approach it matters I'm 30 years old and you approach me crazy I'm gonna look at you crazy whether it's therapy or, or, or just shopping at a store you know and yeah. so I think I love like your outlook and oh my god you just have so many gems but I know we're running short on time how can we find you and your organization please tell us so my personal social media on Instagram is at Dr. Jasmine James. Um, and then my organization is at the T.Zone. We also are on, we have a whole website, thetraumazone.org. Shoot us a DM. We try to do like our little informational reels and we're getting ready to actually, so you get the scoop first. We're getting ready today to launch our um, first resource for educators. It's a grief, okay. it's a grief guide. 
It's like a 20-page workbook that's jam-packed with like lessons and worksheets to help folks whose students may be going through grief, either personally or like communally. It's activities that you can walk through. It has like directions on how to do the lessons. And it literally is dropping today at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. So super excited to hopefully hear some teachers saying like, oh, we did our circle activity. We did our grief journal. We did our like gratefulness activity and kind of seeing how hopefully it helps their students. Oh my God, it's going to help. And we just, I'm just sitting here thinking about like how COVID affected our babies too. And so we can definitely implement this and we definitely have to do a part two because I want to know how that um, how like you've seen like maybe a rise or incline of people like who came after COVID. So I'll definitely be reaching back out. Yes. But thank you guys for listening. And this has been the Millennial Teacher Podcast.